And please, if you have uh, your Bibles with you, your copy of Scripture, find James. There's a copy in the back of the pew in front of you, if you don't have yours, James uh, chapter 2, and we're going to read in, in a few minutes. We'll read from chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, James 2. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, uh, my, well, just over a week ago, my hometown of Anniston, uh, Alabama, was in the national news. The um, Diamond Princess, a uh, luxury liner, had uh, had an outbreak of the coronavirus, and so all the passengers and crews had been exposed to the coronavirus. As I understand it, there were two already had died, and so these uh, these passengers and crew members needed to be quarantined. So the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services decided that the FEMA building in Anniston would be a good place to quarantine all those folks. So the news broke that all these folks from the Diamond Princess who'd been exposed to the coronavirus all would be, would be headed to Anniston. And uh, my folks down in Anniston said, now hang on a minute before you send uh, all those sick folks over here. There was quite a uh, debate in the city council. One said, um, put yourself in their shoes. Someone else said, they're Americans. We've got to help them. But others said, hey, they're, they're not answering. The government's not answering all our questions. They sprung this on us, and we don't know. So the, the officials were saying, we've got to protect our citizens. And the citizens were saying, we've got to protect our families. And there was this big debate until finally the local officials decided to, uh, they were going to sue the, the federal government if they brought all the, these patients, these coronavirus patients there to quarantine them. So the, the government, the U.S. government backed off. Uh, we weren't the only ones, by the way. Some folks in Costa Mesa, California also said you can't bring them here. As I, as I understand the story, they eventually ended up at Lackland Air Force Base near San Antonio. But that story of, of wanting to help people, but not being quite sure whether they should, just is, is an illustration for me that, that helping people is, is complicated, that helping people is, is hard for a number of reasons. There's a friend of mine here in Huntsville who uh, worships with us by television just about every other week. He, he quotes me back to me every once in a while because a few years ago I was talking about, talking about the Good Samaritan, and I said that day that helping people is complicated, and he, he quotes back to me, you know, helping people is complicated. It is for a number of reasons. Sometimes, you know, giving money can actually um, stifle initiative. Uh, giving money can, can create dependency. Helping people is complicated for other reasons. Sometimes it, it enables bad behavior, like the, the woman who picks up the phone first thing in the morning, and it's her husband's boss, and her husband's boss wants to know where her husband is, and she said, oh, sir, he's, uh, he's really sick. He's so sick he can't even come to the phone, when the truth is that uh, he was out so late the night before and drinking so heavily that he hasn't woken up yet and he's not in any shape to come to the phone, that's for sure. She thinks she's helping her husband when in fact she's enabling uh, bad behavior. Helping people uh, is complicated. It's, it's hard because there is such a thing as judgment as well as mercy. Let's think about it like this. 
In the economy of God, there's both judgment and mercy. But in the economy of God, the scales always tip toward mercy. In the economy of God, there's both judgment and mercy. But the scales always tip toward mercy. Let's talk about that. Let's read about that. If you have your Bibles open, look there at uh, chapter 2, and we'll read verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because, and this is where we're going to bore down, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The powerful phrase this week for me as I've studied those two verses has been that last one, mercy triumphs over judgment, or in a phrase that's more common to our ears, uh, mercy trumps judgment. Mercy trumps judgment. Say that with me. Mercy trumps judgment. One more time. Mercy trumps judgment. That in the In the economy of God, there's both judgment and mercy, but the scales always tip toward mercy. That's what the Bible says hundreds of years before James wrote this in Zechariah 7, verse 9. It says, administer true justice, but then the rest of the verse says, show mercy and compassion to one another. In the economy of God, there is both justice and mercy, but the scales always tip toward mercy mercy. Mercy, let's be clear, mercy is not impunity. Impunity is freedom from consequences. You've, you've heard people complain, maybe on television, he's behaving with impunity. He's not, he's not, nobody's making him pay. Well, impunity is freedom from consequences. Mercy is not impunity. Mercy does not exempt us from or protect us from and doesn't even always rescue us from the consequences of bad choices. Mercy does not exempt us from bad consequences. Mercy does not protect us from the consequences of bad choices. Mercy does not even always intervene to rescue us from the consequences of bad choices. So what is mercy? Mercy is is the practice of compassion when our first impulse is judgment. Mercy is acting with compassion when our first impulse is judgment. Here's some examples. There's somebody that um, has hurt you deeply, and they don't deserve your forgiveness. Everybody, Everybody you know would say they do not deserve your forgiveness. And your first impulse, first impulse is to make them pay. But instead, you choose to bear the pain of, uh, of act an act that was not yours, and you decide to forgive them. Your first impulse is judgment, but you act with compassion. That is mercy. Another illustration, you're riding down the road, or maybe you're walking in the parking lot after worship, 
and you see a homeless person, and your first impulse is to say, you know, if they would just get their act together, if they just act right, then they wouldn't be homeless. Now, there's another voice down there that says, you know, that's not true of all homeless people, but your first impulse, your first, first impulse is if they would just get their act together. But then you, you choose to go and you, you serve on a, on a line that that serves food to homeless people, or you make a contribution to the Salvation Army or to the downtown rescue mission, your, your first impulse is judgment, but you, you act with compassion. Or you believe that marriage is for life, but a friend of yours uh, goes through a divorce, and instead of judging him or her, you, you affirm him or her, you you minister to him or her, you help him or her, you, you love him or her. Your first impulse is judgment, but you act with compassion. That's mercy uh, anyway. Or you believe that, that physical intimacy is only for a man and a woman who are married, and yet you, you know some, a young lady who has a child and she doesn't have a husband, and you, you know, your first impulse is judgment, but you you see that child, and you take that child, and you tell her how precious and beautiful that child is, and you buy that child a, a car seat for the car. That's your first impulse is judgment, but you act with compassion. That's, that's mercy anyway. When you know an old man, there's an old man who is lonely, but it's his fault. When he was a young man, he he left his wife and his kids, and he chased another woman, and then eventually she left him, and now he's all alone. His first wife and his kids want nothing to do with him, and he is lonely, but you know and he knows it's his fault. But you, but you invite him over for Thanksgiving dinner or for Christmas dinner because you know it is his fault, but you, but you act with compassion. That's mercy anyway. Or you think about the prisons, and you think about all those folks at the prisons. Your, your tax money is, is paying for their room and board, and they're there because of their choices, not your choices, and, but you're having to pay for their choices. And yet, you, you join Cairo's Christi, uh, uh, prison ministry or some other prison ministry, and you go and you love on prisoners anyway. That's, that's mercy anyway. In the, in the economy of God, there's judgment and there's mercy but the scales always tip toward mercy. Let's demonstrate mercy. Mercy trumps judgment. So let's be people of mercy for a number of reasons. One, because folks typically don't set out to mess up their lives. People don't usually decide in the morning, you know, I'm going to do something today that's hurtful for me and hurtful to everybody around me. They usually don't, people usually don't do that. People don't usually set out to hurt themselves and to hurt people who love them. People don't set out to make a mess of their lives. Let's be people of mercy because folks usually don't intend to, to mess up. Second, we never know the whole story. We never know the backstory behind a particular action. Let me give you an example. I was um, Years ago, this was in Richmond, Virginia, at Deep Run High School. We had gathered there on a Friday night, and I was going to officiate a football game. We were on the sideline. We'd had the coin toss, and uh, the visiting band was playing the national anthem. The, PA, the guy on the PA system had said, uh, 
focus your attention on the middle of the field, and the ROTC color guard will present the colors. And so we all uh, stood, the people in the stand stood, coaches and players and cheerleaders and officials standing there. That's, and we're all, everybody's happy before the They all like us before the game starts. And we're standing there all happy, and we're all focused on the ROTC color guard. And uh, they're playing the national anthem. And I noticed one guy on the sidelines. Now, all of us are facing this way toward the field. There's one guy standing like this. And I got so mad at him, I thought, you know, here's a guy that doesn't appreciate the flag and doesn't appreciate those who've died defending that flag. And I got all worked up. And then for some reason, I I followed his gaze. He was gazing intently, intensely toward the one of the end zones, and I just followed his gaze. And wouldn't you know it, there's a flagpole down there with a flag raised. He had missed the announcement to focus your attention on the middle of the field, and he's the most unaware person I think I've ever seen. Hundreds of people looking in this direction. He didn't notice it. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He's standing there facing. And I thought, you know, and this probably is not a, not a good thing about the way my mind works. My, I thought, you know, if I were running against him in a, in a political campaign, I'd take a picture of this and I'd show everybody how unpatriotic uh, he is. He's standing there like this. And I, I made some assumptions about him that were wrong. He just was unaware. We never know the whole story. Do we never know the backstory? That doesn't, that doesn't excuse bad behavior, but But there's almost always more to the story than we as an outsider can know. So let's be people of mercy because nobody ever sets out to mess things up, to mess up their life. And and we never know the whole story. And third, one day we may be the ones in need of mercy. One day we may wish we had not been so judgmental. I was at Back in Richmond, I was at the, at the pony pasture along the James River. A friend of mine from Texas was there. I took him down there to see the pony pasture. And it's this beautiful stretch of water along the James River that runs through Richmond. We noticed that to our left, upriver, there's some, and there's some rapids up this way. And, and there was a big something going on. A lot of people gathered up the upriver at the rapids. And so we, just out of curiosity, went up there to see what was going on. And there were uh, these guys, in the, a bunch of men, and there were guys in the water that were they, were, they'd sit down in the water, and they would ride down those rapids to where these other guys were, and the other guys would throw them a rope, and they'd grab the rope, and then two of them would latch onto each other, and they would pull the guy to safety. I found out it was the Henrico Fire Department, and they were practicing rescue. The interesting thing about it for me was that those who went down and got rescued, then they'd hop up, hop up on the rocks, and uh, the rescuers would become the rescuees. And then they'd get in, and they'd go down, and um, they'd throw them a rope. It reminded me of an old gospel song. Remember, throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline. Someone is sinking today. Someone is drifting away. Throw out the lifeline. You, you know, it'd be good for us to throw out the lifeline to people because one of these days, it may be you and me, 
that needs a lifeline. And then we might wish we had been more merciful. Let's be people of mercy. Remember in the the economy of God, there's judgment and there's mercy, but the scales always tip toward mercy because people never set out to mess things up and we never know the whole story. and, And one day we may be the ones in need of mercy and So there are a number of reasons why that we need to be um, merciful. In the mid-1800s, Frederick Faber wrote, there's a wideness in God's mercy. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. Let's make sure we don't imply that God's mercy is, is narrow. Let's make sure that by our actions, we don't imply to people that the God we serve and love, uh, that His mercy is more like a little creek that covers only those who do the right things. Let's make sure that we, by our lives, make sure we let people know that there's a wideness to God's mercy like a wideness of the sea, not this little creek that covers only the the righteous and the upright. Let's be people of mercy. People don't set out to mess up and we never know the whole story. One day we may be in need of mercy and there is a wideness uh, to God's mercy like a wideness of the sea. I've always been fascinated by uh, search and rescue teams, especially out in the mountains, out west like in Colorado. You know, these guys, um, men and women, they risk their well-being to help people who've gotten in trouble. One day I saw on the news a story about the Alpine rescue team in uh, Colorado and um, I Googled them. I saw all kinds of, they had, they had some kind of big spectacular rescue. And so I Googled them. And I found all kinds of stories about the Alpine rescue team who, who, who go into the mountains after avalanches, after people have gotten in trouble. And lots of those people gotten, got there by their own doings. They, they, some of them people walked right by big signs that said, don't ski here, avalanche area. Walked right by them. Skied, got caught in an avalanche. Or they were there because they didn't, they didn't have the right equipment or what, their own mistakes got them in trouble, and them members of the Alpine rescue team have to go help them. In fact, I told you about them when I was uh, interim preacher here. I was so impressed with them, I called the number on their uh, website, and I got a name, man named Bill Barwick, and he said some interesting things to me. I won't tell you all of them. What stuck with me was that, and I want to make sure I quote him right, that people who complain and I'm quoting him now, about those people who do stupid things and don't deserve to be rescued, that people who complain about those people who do stupid things and don't deserve to be rescued, those people don't join search and rescue teams. (laughs) And then he said, judgmental people stay home and watch the news. Judgmental people, they're home watching the news. Watching other people risk their lives for people who've done stupid things. Judgmental people don't join search and rescue teams. I thought about that during this week when I was talking about or studying about mercy. So I, um, I Googled a bunch of search and rescue teams in Colorado. They're all over Colorado. And I emailed them, seven or eight of them. Four responded. I assume uh, the rest of them were out saving people. But I, 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 I did get four responses, 
And uh, I'm not going to read all of it. And I know it's a little bit long, not too long, but I want you to pay careful attention. So I, I, I emailed him and I told him, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I said, it seems to me like you all risk your lives um, for people that have done really stupid things. And do you ever resent that? One of the, I asked him, why do you put yourselves in danger to rescue folks who have blatantly disregarded the rules and gotten themselves into dangerous situations? Jay Bowman said, we have all found ourselves in difficult situations before, either from circumstances out of our control or circumstances defined by our own decisions. Our mission is to help those in need, and we cannot pass judgment on those asking for help. If we were to start doing this, it would lead to questioning our values and the very mission we are dedicated to fulfilling. Anna de Batiste said, We do not judge the activities of the people we rescue. The analogy I draw is that people often light their kitchens on fire through negligence or unwise decisions, but the fire department does, take, does not take punitive action. They just respond and put the fire out. It's what first responders are there for. Don Davis said, we don't judge, we don't judge. Once we went looking for a guy who skipped out on a hearing over potential child abuse, but they still went looking for him. Garrett Padgham said, my first reaction is, why wouldn't I? Christ did even more and died for my blatant disregard for the rules. He didn't know I was gonna, he was going to be a sermon illustration. But this is a man who's a believer. Hear my question to him again. Why do you put yourselves in danger to rescue folks who have blatantly disregarded the rules and gotten themselves into dangerous situations? He says, my first reaction is, why wouldn't I? Christ did even more and died for my blatant disregard for the rules. No one asks for the situation they are in. The reality is also that those situations often cannot be blamed on one large mistake. Listen, but instead are a cascade of poor decisions that often build up until our subjects find themselves in a situation that they can no longer handle on their own. It's not intentional. This person is scared and suffering now. They need help and likely can't get out of this situation without it. Mercy is not impunity. Mercy is not freedom from consequences. Mercy doesn't exempt us from the consequences of bad decisions. Mercy does not protect us from the consequences of bad decisions. In fact, mercy does not always rescue us from the consequences of bad decisions. But mercy never, ever gives up. I want you to picture her with me. A lone figure, a woman standing along the side of a mountainous road. It's a curvy road. It's a dangerous road. And she stands there in a storm. Her name is Mercy. She's pelted by the rain, lightning around her. But she stands there on the side of the curvy, narrow, mountainous road in the storm. She sees a, the headlights of a car headed her way. She can tell that the, the car is being driven erratically. She gets a glimpse inside the car and 
she notices that the driver is distracted by music and by the, the passengers in the car, and it looks like he's been drinking too heavily. She wants so desperately, hear me, she wishes so desperately that she could get behind the wheel of that car and drive it for him. But she knows she can't, that he has, that God has given him free will, and he's, he's in charge of where the car goes. But she knows that where she's standing is, is fraught with danger, and so she waves her arms, and she cries, and she pleads, be careful, be careful, this is, this is dangerous, be careful. With tears streaming down her face, she pleads. But he pays no attention, the driver, and, and right beside her, he runs off the road down the side of the mountain. She weeps, but she doesn't stay there. She, she hangs onto every branch and bush she can, and she slides down the side of the mountain until she reaches where he is and offers whatever help she can. And then... And she climbs back up the side of the mountain to that same place in the road where she, she pleads with people to be careful. She used to have a partner. There used to be two who stood there. Judgment, he used to stand there with her. And when people would head down the road driving erratically, he'd point his finger at them. And he'd say, you better watch out, you're going to be in trouble. And when they'd run off the road, he'd say, told you so. Night after night, he stood there with mercy. She's pleading, please be careful. He repeats, I told you so, every time somebody goes down. But judgment got tired. He got tired of that, you know, nobody paying attention. So judgment is home now, and he watches the news on television. But mercy is still there. And when she sees a car headed in her direction, she waves her arm and she pleads. And sometimes she recognizes it's the same guy. He's been here before. But she still waves her arms and she pleads. And she weeps. And she cries. And when he runs off the road, she grabs every branch and bush she can until she's at the bottom. She offers whatever help she can. And then she climbs back up to the mountain, to the road, and she stands there, muddy and bloody and bruised and disappointed. But when the headlights of another car show up in the distance, she waves her arms again, and she pleads again. In the economy of God, there's judgment and there is mercy. But the scales always tip toward mercy. Let's be people of, let's be people of mercy anyway.